Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Good morning, church. As you said, my name is Kyle Gomer. This is what the bottom half of my face looks like. Uh, Today, I have the distinct privilege of reading God's Word with you today. So if you could turn with me to Mark 7, verse 24, and we'll be reading through verse 30. I'll be reading out of the ESV. And from there, he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell, fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. All right, so there's a, there's a challenge, there's a problem sometimes when we uh, jump into a passage of scripture with zero context. Uh, we like to do this, though, if we're, if we're honest. Like, how many of us in uh, moments of desperation, uh, we've, we've taken the Bible and we've gone, Lord, I need a word. Boom, we put our finger down, right? And then we read something like, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses. That would be Isaiah 31, verse 1. Like we do this, and, and sometimes we do it like that, like, a, like, a, like the Bible's a Christian fortune cookie. But sometimes we've heard verses quoted, and we said, oh, that's for me. Jeremiah 29, 11, right? For I know the plans for you, I have for you, says the Lord's plan to prosper you, give you hope. Oh, yeah, that's for me. That's what I need. We all need that, right? But when we do that, when we rip things out of context, we don't understand that those things are written to specific people, a specific time. There's actually things happening when God spoke those words through the prophet Jeremiah. What was happening? The people had been oppressed and overthrown. They were living in in captivity, essentially. And and God was telling them, this isn't going to last forever. But you know what? It lasted for 70 more years after he said that. Right? So when we take scripture and we rip it out of its context, sometimes it's no wonder that we just don't know what to do with it. And we walk away from, from God's word puzzled or we walk away with a wrong understanding. So what we, what we want to make sure that we all know, though, as believers, is the Bible is our sole source of our faith. It's it. It's what we build our faith on. The the reason we're singing songs, the reason we took communion this morning, the reason we gather together, this is not stuff we made up. This is things that we have been handed down for generation to generation. This is what the church does. And so the Bible is our sole source for our faith. Everything we know about God comes from his word, not from Joseph Smith's word, from some golden tablets he found in New York, not, not from some inspiration that a, a leader got one day, said this is the new truth. No, everything we know about God comes from his word. Everything we know about how to follow Jesus, because that's what Christians means, people that look like Jesus, comes from his word. And everything we know about inviting others to follow Jesus comes from his word. 
So with that in mind, what on earth did Kyle just read? Right? For those of you that were paying attention, Jesus just has this interaction with this woman, and does he really call her a dog? It, it, was it a joke? Was Jesus joking? Is he a jerk? Was he in a bad mood that day? Is, was Jesus a little racist? Was he a little misogynistic? I mean, we could take this text out of its context and, and we could proof text it. We could make it say what we want to say. We could, give, we could make it paint a picture of Jesus that we want it to be portrayed. And we do this all the time. Social media actually does this the best, right? Bite-sized little pieces of information. Somebody said one thing and then that's who they are. So we want to know what this is about. And that's why we're walking through the whole book of Mark, not just taking one piece out of context. So if this is your first time with us, you're, you're kind of joining, a, you're joining a, a TV series in the middle, right? Uh, like we could say in previous episodes, this is what Jesus has been doing. And we will do that in a little bit. So we're going to look at this passage in context, but we're not going to ignore it. We're not going to spin it to make it conform with our kind of our modern sensibilities. We're going to wade right in here and say, what was Jesus doing in this interaction with this woman? One of my favorite quotes is from uh, a, a longtime North African church father named Augustine. He, he says this, he says, let me get there. He says, if you believe what you like in the gospel and you reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel you believe, but yourself. Uh, this was written a long time ago from a, a church leader in North Africa. And my goodness, is it relevant for us today. So this morning, our passage, our, our sermon title is True Faith from Mark chapter 7. We're really going to look through verse 37. We'll read the kind of the second story here in just a minute. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to wade into this text and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning because none of you all just need to hear my words. We want to hear from God's word. And so I'm going to pray briefly to that end. Father, we ask that you would give us ears to hear, that you give us understanding that we wouldn't just nod and smile to this and walk away like the same person we came out, came here as, Lord, but that we would be different. That your words that were preserved for us would challenge us, would push us to truth. And we might know you better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's set, the, let's set the context, right, with what's going on here. For those of you that haven't been with us, Jesus has been doing stuff. He's been feeding people miraculously. He's been casting out demons. Just recently, just before this interaction with this woman, Jesus walked on water. So Jesus is getting a little bit popular, actually quite a bit popular. He's uh, really at celebrity status now. How many of you have ever uh, seen a celebrity? You're out, like out in the wild, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and, and then you tell people about it, right? Hey, I, I was in the airport and I saw, so like for, for me, I worked at Burger King in a mall when I was in high school. And I remember uh, 
Run DMC was performing a concert. Some of you are like, who is that? They're, they're some of the godfathers of hip-hop, right? And Run DMC was performing a concert in my town late, uh, later that evening, and they walked through the mall past Burger King. Like, that was, that was it. I saw Run DMC in the mall. Kind of weird that they were there, but whatever. So when we see a celebrity, we tell people about it. We tell the stories, especially if we met them or interacted with them. And essentially what's happening here is Jesus is at celebrity status. So when he rolls into a town, the word spreads quick. This is before uh, any kind of technology. It was word of mouth, house to house. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Remember, did you hear about what he did in that one town? So everybody wanted to show up to see him. That didn't mean that they all had faith in Jesus, that they believed that he was the son of God or any of his teachings. They just knew he was somebody. They knew he was important. So this is the context. This is the context that this story that Kyle just read is in. And I want you to follow along with this a little bit. So I would encourage you, always encourage you, to bring your Bible and to fact check the speaker, right? As whoever's presenting up here is unpacking God's word that you'd be like, is this accurate? Is this true? So what is happening here? Well, the first thing is uh, Jesus was trying to hide. Jesus was trying to hide. It says he entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, right? Because he, he was at celebrity status, and he just couldn't rest. People were pounding on the door trying to find him. So Jesus goes into this other region away from the Jewish people that he had been speaking to. He goes into a, a region that was far less Jewish. In fact, a majority of non-Jews, which the Bible calls Gentiles. So this is the context. Jesus was trying to hide, but it didn't work. He couldn't hide. Because as soon as this particular woman heard about Jesus hiding out in her town, and she went to find him because she had a need. So Jesus was trying to hide. It didn't work. And this Greek, Syrian, Phoenician woman found him and was desperate for his help. Now, we read those words, and they don't mean much to us. But this is, a, this is an important ethnic designation. She wasn't Jewish. Jesus was called, he was a Jew, and he was called to minister to the Jews. And here's a non-Jewish woman coming to him for help. So he was trying to hide, it didn't work, and a non-Jewish woman finds him desperate for his help. And now here's where the interesting part of the story comes in. They have a bit of a, a verbal sparring match. Uh, a little bit, I wouldn't say it's an argument, but it's a little, she, she makes a request and he pushes back and then she pushes back. And ultimately, she wins that verbal sparring match. And Jesus confirms that by healing her daughter, by meeting her request. Now, one thing to keep in mind here as we read this is we can't tell the tone. It doesn't say Jesus had a little smile when he said it. Or, or that the woman good-naturedly pushed back. We don't know what tone was conveyed here. So oftentimes we read it uh, in a flat tone, kind of monotone Jesus or maybe with a little bit of anger, especially because of the words that are said here. We, we don't really know. You guys know how this works, right? Somebody texts you in the middle of the day, and they said, man, it would be really fun if we, if we did this thing tonight. We, we, let's go grab some food, and let's go get, catch a game. And, and then afterwards, we can hang out at this one place, and the person responds with K. 
right? The letter K. And so you were all excited about this, and now you're like, man, they don't seem into it at all. Now, maybe they were just in a meeting, and that was all they could sneak into the table, right? Their communication's nuanced. We pick up, that's what's been so hard, right, with masks in the last couple of years. I'll tell you what, as a pastor, when I'm preaching, everybody has masks on. I don't know if y'all are frowning or what. So it's great to see faces again. So we don't know what Jesus' tone is as he interacts with women, but, but, but look at those words. What is he saying to her? Even if the tone was kind, we still can't avoid the illustration that Jesus was using. It still sounds offensive. It still sounds like he's comparing her to a dog. So there's a few things to know here. Um, the illustration that Jesus uses is culturally rooted. Like it's understood by her. And we, can, we know she understands it because of how she responds to it. She also has a, an understanding that I think even her, the disciples of Jesus were having a hard time grasping. She understands that when Jesus talks about children, he's talking about his people, the Jewish people. She understands that the bread that is used in this illustration represents the ministry of Jesus, what he is giving to people. And so what Jesus is essentially saying here is he's saying, hey, my primary ministry is to my people, to the Jewish people. The Bible confirms this. It says that salvation comes first to the Jew and then to others. All the way back in Abraham's promise that he received from God, that through Abraham, the original line of the Jewish people, all people would be blessed. But through means it starts with. So this is what the context, and she got it. Now the dog piece, this is the offensive piece, right? There's kind of two types of dogs in this culture. There's the stray dogs, the mangy dogs. They're just out in the street scavenging, And just like today, actually not just like today. Today, dogs are off the hook. They're like children. Um, similar to today, people have had pets that were dogs back then. That were essentially part of the house, right? Part of the, part of the family, kind of, like today. And in this context, the children represent the Jews. The dogs represent the Gentiles. Still not a very kind term, even in the first century. So the woman, she hears this, this Jesus pushback. Hey, my, my primary ministry is, is to Jews. That's who I've first come to share the gospel with. But she doesn't give up. She's humble. She's persistent. She's honoring. She's very smart. She turns Jesus' illustration to her favor. Look at verse 28. She says, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Essentially, she's saying, listen, even when the kids are getting fed, the family pets get some of what's being served. She didn't want to detract from his mission or to prevent him from ministering to the people of Israel. All she wanted was a little bit of what he had, just a sample to heal her daughter. And Jesus responds by saying, you are right, essentially. You're right. This is uh, the only place in the Gospels where it appears Jesus 
loses an argument. But it wasn't really an argument. In fact, on the heels of what he had just been teaching, again, context matters, this is a real-world illustration of the ministry that Jesus would bring for all people. I was thinking about this earlier. When Jesus' ministry first started, you remember the first miracle that Jesus made? It's recorded in John chapter 2. He turns water into wine. And in that interaction, he's at a, he's at a wedding, and the request is made of him by his mother to do it. And he says, my time has not yet come to his mom. And then his mom turns to the attendance there and she goes, do whatever he says. And he does it. And I thought that was interesting, right? We, we have the very beginning of his ministry, has this interaction with his mom where it seems like he doesn't want to do it, but then he does. And this opens the door for the beginning of his ministry. And here it seems like he doesn't want to minister to non-Jews, but he does. And again, we'll see in a moment, this opens the door for his ministry. And so I, I feel like it's important that we recognize this isn't an unwillingness on Jesus' part, but it's an, an intentional pause to mark the beginning of something new. He, he's acknowledging the cultural barriers. He's acknowledging the prophetic words that first Jews, then Gentiles. But he does it in a way that people, especially in their day, would take note. And I think for us as well today, Later on, Paul in Romans 1, verse 16 would say, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God, which we sang about earlier, that brings salvation for everyone, to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Which Gentile, again, is anybody who is not a believer. So this woman believed. In fact, in many ways, she's one of the best examples of faith in Mark's gospel up to this point. She is humble. She comes and says she begged her. She begged him. She is honoring. She uses the word Lord, also one of the only places in Mark's gospel that this term is used, a term of honoring. She is persistent. She doesn't give up after the first response of Jesus. And she believes. We see her belief in two ways. First, and just in her initial approach to Jesus in the first place. But second, Jesus says, it is done. Your daughter's healed. But her daughter's not there. This is a place where Jesus heals somebody without actually being physically present. So she runs home in faith and finds out that her prayers have been answered. A commentator uh, on this particular passage says this. He says, Mark Strauss, he says, The point, of course, is that Jesus wins by seemingly losing. By accepting the woman's argument, he allows this outsider to express a fundamental truth of the gospel. In the kingdom age, salvation will be for all who respond in faith, regardless of ethnic identity. So instead of viewing this through our 21st century eyes and getting offended, I'm actually really grateful that this story is here. It, it, it doesn't undermine the character and nature of Jesus at all, but it actually serves as a, a powerful example of the inclusion of the kingdom, inclusion in that day. And it serves as, I think, a fantastic example for us in our day. This woman was humble, she was honoring, she was persistent, and she was filled with faith. 
Again, she had no desire to detract from Jesus' ministry. But like Jacob, she wrestled with God. She was not going to give up. This is a picture of true faith. True faith. Now, prior to this interaction with the woman, Jesus has has really only had one interaction with non-Jewish folks. I don't know if you remember this. But Jesus and his disciples had gone across the lake and through a storm. And they land on the other side of this lake in non-Jewish territory. And there's a demon-possessed man who is freed by Jesus. And he's freed in such a way, uh, such an odd way, really, um, that a bunch of pigs were killed, if you remember that story. And so all the, all the, the non-Jewish people come out of their villages and they say, Jesus, get out of here. <laughs> Don't disturb the peace. Don't take away our life. Will you just leave after he has done this thing? And so this one man that has just been delivered, he says, Jesus, I want to follow you. Can I go with you? And Jesus says, no. What I want you to do instead is I want you to go tell people about me. And so Jesus commissions this man to go through 10 different cities, the Decapolis, and tell people about him. So now, present day, Jesus has just done this thing. He just made it seem like he didn't want to interact with the non-Jewish people. But things have changed a little bit. Just as the, the miracle of the wedding began his ministry, now this interaction with this woman begins a ministry to non-Jews as well. If you have your Bibles, we're going to read one short story right after this. Verse 31 through 37. See another demonstration of true faith. Mark 7, 31 through 37. So right after this this moment with this woman, it says, then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. Very different than when they begged him to leave the area sometime before that. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Yes, I, need a, I need some help here. Hey, Jesus, uh, since you're intently studying God's word, come on up here for a second. This is another one of those stories like, why does Jesus stick his fingers in the man's ears and grab his tongue? And I'm not going to grab your tongue, so don't worry about that. <laughs> but I want to ask you a question. If you couldn't hear and you couldn't speak, how would we communicate? By using sign language. By using sign language. Good job. We didn't talk about this beforehand. <laughs> so Jesus, Jesus he's, not, he's not concerned with the spectacle. He, again, he's, he's trying to, he was trying to avoid the crowds. So it says that he took him aside privately. But how are we going to communicate? You can't hear, you can't speak. And so Jesus, in his healing, he wants this man to know that he has been touched by God. He could just say the words, just like he had just done for that woman, you're healed. But he wants to communicate with him that he's been healed. So he touches his ears, and they're open. He grabs his tongue, which I'm not going to (laughs) do. 
And he can, he can talk again. You can have a seat. So it sounds weird to us, but this is the personal nature of Jesus, right? He, he wants to be up close. He, he wants to communicate in compassion, that he understands the issues of this man and that he has the power to free him from them. Isaiah verse 35, we're reminded of Isaiah verse 35 where it says this. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Beautiful illustration of who Jesus is. Think about what what kind of faith it takes to, to bring your friend to a public setting like this. This, this friend who can't hear, who can't speak, and you lead him up to Jesus in front of everybody else, you are setting yourself up to be ridiculed big time if nothing happens. But the friends of this man loved him so much. They had enough faith to bring him to be healed. And the compassion of Jesus here, again, it's not about the spectacle. It says he took him away aside from the crowd. There could be no doubt that for Mark's gospel, the significance of this miracle was proclamation of the gospel in the territory of the Gentiles, outside of the promised people. That this was a sign of the messianic activity of Jesus, that he was who he says he was. So while taken out of context, it might seem with the woman that Jesus was being misogynistic or giving into some type of of racial prejudice, But it was quite the opposite. Through her persistence, the ministry to her people, to the Gentiles, had begun. Jesus had already declared to religious leaders just before this that things were about to change. If you remember from last week. No food is unclean anymore, he says. Signifying the opening door for all people of every tribe, tongue, nation, and race. And we see this same picture in the end when there is a massive worship service in heaven and every skin color, every language, every ethnicity is represented. Because the good news of Jesus is for everybody. So Jesus commends the woman's uh, faithful persistence and then right after he journeys into the Gentiles' cities because he is not done yet. And again, I love that. That phrase, people were overwhelmed with amazement, saying, he has done everything well. One of the reasons that um, Jesus continually tells people to keep quiet about the miracles he does is because he doesn't want the spectacle to overshadow the message. Doesn't want the spectacle to overshadow the message. It's easy to get caught up in that, right? Bigger and better, crazier, more intense. Uh, churches fall into that. Hey, you know, this, this Easter, we're not just going to do an egg hunt. We're going to do a helicopter drop egg hunt, right? Like, <laughs> you all are laughing, but I actually know people, churches that have done that. <laughs> right? What are we drawing people to? What are we bringing them to? Jesus had so much compassion. And we're to follow him in that compassion. We're to to meet people's immediate needs as a church. But in doing that, we want to point to the eternal need that they have. That it is that Jesus is who he says he is. He is God of the universe. That you are not an accident. 
That your current pain, he sees it, and he, he has made a way out of it. Jesus always rewards faith, true faith. And you know this to be true, don't you? Uh, at one point, every one of you in this room that have placed your faith in Jesus, you had to do something for your faith to begin. You had to step forward on a Sunday morning to say yes to Jesus. That took a faith step on your part. You had to ask somebody to pray with you. That takes guts, like bringing your friend to Jesus, right? You had to cut off destructive patterns and ways in your life so that you could fully walk with Jesus. All of our faith demands a step. It is not Netflix streaming, right? We don't just passively receive it. We have to do something. True faith always has action. And what we have to guard against today is what we have already heard Jesus calling out in his disciples. Jesus has said just before this to his disciples, you are hard-hearted. You have a, a dull heart. What? These are the people that are with Jesus, that are experiencing all of the miracles, not just the one. They've seen him walk on water and multiply food. They have hard and dull hearts. And this isn't like an initial doubt or uncertainty that we have before we know Jesus. This is different because for those of us that know Jesus and we say our lives depend on Christ, but what happens when we live as if they don't? Is that true faith? Well, yeah, I did pray. I did take a step of action once. I, I walked down on church on Sunday and I said yes to Jesus. But ever since then, I've said I believe in Jesus, but I've lived as if I don't. I've said as if I need him for everything in my life, but I've got it all taken care of, Jesus. This is what the disciples were falling into. And so the contrast between somebody like this woman who persisted in her faith, that's true faith. And the disciples that are just like, eh, I don't know. Some of the ways that we recognize this dullness or hard-heartedness in our relationship with Christ. Let me just give three of them. Three ways that you can do a little self-exam right here this morning. The first thing is we only pray for things that have minimal impact in our life. Lord, would you bless this food? You know, if he doesn't bless it, it's still going to taste fine. Lord, would you give my kids good dreams? You know, we all have bad dreams. Is that the sum total of our prayers? They have minimal impact on our life. Or do we pray like this woman asked Jesus? Do we act like these friends that brought this man? Do we pray for the hard things, for the big things, the things that only God can do? If we don't, we may have a dull or hard-hearted relationship with Jesus. Another way that we might diagnose our own heart is we don't, Give enough to make ourselves uncomfortable. And, I, and when I say give, I mean your time, your talents, how God's gifted you, and certainly your finances, your treasure. If we don't give of our time, our treasure, and our talents enough to make ourselves uncomfortable, then we may not really be trusting God with it all. And the third thing 
If we don't expect God to be present in the everyday things of life, then we may have a dull or hard heart. Of course, he's present here, right? On Sunday. But really, this is the only place. What drove me nuts at the very beginning of the pandemic was how many Christians were getting upset saying, the church is closed because we can't meet together. I was like, do you know what the church is? Church is the people of God. It's not a building or a once a week meeting. The church is nothing less than our gathering. This is important, but it certainly is more than this gathering. So when we don't expect God to be present at our work, in the conversations we're having with our spouse, even the tough ones, in our workouts, our family vacations, like if we don't expect God to be present with us, then we may have a dull or hard heart. And crazy enough, these were the things that were already happening with the disciples. So this is a warning to us. Lord Jesus, will you show us when it's happening with us? Will you show us the condition of our hearts? And we wonder why the next generation doesn't have faith in Jesus. It might be because they've not actually seen true faith in their homes or in their churches. You know what I want to say to my kids someday? I want to be able to say to them, he has done everything well. Not just Sunday morning. Not just prayers at bedtime and meals at dinner time. Everything well. Jesus has done that. And I want you to be able to say that too. For those with true faith, I want you to know Jesus will respond to you. He will respond to you. It's not for him about the spectacle, but it's about the truth. He wants you to know him and to know his will for your life. And the truth is Jesus is God in the flesh who demonstrated his divinity by his miraculous deeds. And Jesus still does that today. There's a baby on the way this fall. Jesus still does miracles today. So we can and we should approach Jesus in faith. In faith that he can do things that we're powerless to do. He can heal your marriage. He can take away your anxiety. He can heal your friends and family that are sick. He can forgive all of the things that you've done wrong. And he can give you peace despite those things. Peace that comes through knowing him. So this morning, church family, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't get dull or hard-hearted. Persist in prayer like the woman. And if you this morning are spiritually deaf and mute, find a friend and ask them to drag your butt to Jesus. Ask him to do it. I I think there's a few in this room that would be glad to help out with that. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we need to know you for who you are, not the neat box that we try and put you in. We need to be revived in our hearts that we would not be a dull or hard-hearted people, but that we'd be people like this woman, like these friends, that have true faith, faith that has feet to it, And Father, I know 
that there are things I've been praying for you for years and you have still not given me what I wanted. <laughs> God, would you help me to hear you clearly? If I've been praying for something that I shouldn't have, <laughs> let me hear your no. But Father, there are so many things I know I can pray for that you do want. You want my friends and family to know you. You want my friends and family to have peace despite their circumstances. And so, Father, I will keep asking you for those things. And I will keep asking you. And I will trust you. I'll trust in your timing and in your ways and in your purposes. Lord, may we be a church that reflects true faith. Persistent, honoring, humble, and full of belief that you can do whatever you want to do. May we be that church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.